road goals, a Carra Road win. Three points, what a way to start the championship campaign for Norwich City. A 2-1 victory over Hull this afternoon. Um, and I would suggest the feelings around the football club at the moment from supporters and otherwise are probably significantly better off than they were prior to kickoff. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt, who is to my left, Samuel Seaman, who is to my right, basking in the glory of some Carrow Road fun after all that uh, and it's the point you know we're here every week this podcast covering every single game and uh, it's brilliant to kickstart a new season and Paddy even better to kickstart with a win um, we will obviously dissect the game as, as we always try and do um, but I'm more interested first and foremost in in the event I guess the the win the feeling around it the mood of supporters given the way that last season ended, how much negativity there was, dare I even say toxicity. And look, none of us are naive enough to think that one game blows everything away and makes everything OK and suddenly the page is turned and Norwich City are going to get 100 points and score 100 goals. Um, but that was probably a real step forward, particularly I'm talking about the scenes that we saw towards the end of that game. Yeah, and, and, and David Wagner hit the nail firmly on the head in his post-match. He said, if Norwich which conceivably, given the amount of chances, and we'll get into it in due course, they created, we don't have a calamitous concession at the other end, they could have gone into that 95-plus minutes of stoppage time, you're 2-0 up, and it's Hull who get the 96th-minute goal, and you walk off the pitch, and it's still 2-1, but there's more a relief factor to it, I think. you know. But for it to be the way it panned out, you know, you give a really poor goal, and again, we'll get into that in due course, off the back of all that Carrow Road angst and frustration that was there towards the end of last season, one win in 11, home and away, but five games was it at Carrow Road without even scoring, let alone, you know, getting any points on the board. And uh, in that context, then to make things even harder for yourself by gifting Hull an opener, yet to come back in the manner they did, then to get the winner in the manner they did at the time they did. Yeah, no, that felt, that felt very good. And despite it being a very soggy afternoon weather-wise, uh, you know, it's quite an uplifting uh, something to be part of, really, because it feels so long since us, more importantly, fans, have had that kind of experience in Carrow Road watching their team. And, uh, you know, whatever else comes on from here now, you know, that has that has to give those fans who are probably on the fence a little bit and still will be a little bit more belief that, yeah, maybe this group... By no manner of means did everything go right, not just the goal they gave away, but there was phases of that game where they need to do a lot better. But, you know, if the objective exercise was to send the fans home from the first game with three points, with excitement, with a feeling of pride in, in the character and resilience that those players showed who went out there in the green and yellow, then they achieved all that. So, you know, ultimately, you know, David Wagner himself isn't getting carried away by that. He knows his work ahead. But given what we had to endure um, and and sit through last season, towards the end particularly, um, maybe not too much hyperbole to say that could be a watershed moment because you just don't know how this plays out from here. And and in the epicentre of all that is Adamida. What does that goal do for Adamida? Because um, you know we're not being uncharitable to say you know a lot of fans are questioning. Is he a player who can really come to the fore and, you know, the whole thing about the contractual status and that show of faith from the club and five years and 
And David Wagner, very tellingly post-match, in answer to my question, what would that do for Adam Eder? Talked about, you know, even the coaching staff have been saying internally, this guy just needs a goal. He needs something for his self-belief and his confidence. And he, in microcosm, could be Norwich as a whole, you know, and, and what this, what could now develop from here? Because I think we've said it on all the videos, podcasts, pieces that we've done leading into the season because of what happened last season and how it finished the start is absolutely imperative to shift the narrative, to shift the mood music, um, to, to, if you're David Wagner, get some sort of positivity that, you know, if you're an Orange fan looking at him, is he the right person to take this on? Results like today, performances like today, um, that will answer a few questions. So um, for many reasons, what we witnessed, particularly in the last 30 seconds or so of that 96-minute game could be could have massive ramifications and... Uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's nice to leave Car Road and have plenty of positive things to talk about. Yeah, I think in, in my verdict, I, I spoke about John Rowe's goal and Adam Eder's goal as potentially being career-changing moments. Both of them felt like that for probably different reasons, and, and we'll probably get more into those two players later in in the podcast. But Sam, I mean, if 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 you were David Wagner and you you know you're tucked up in bed last night and you just put your head on the pillow and you closed your eyes and you're thinking, right, what sort of win do I would I ideally like? tomorrow I think you'd have got pretty close to that wouldn't you because yes there was obviously the the moment that they conceded first but I I immediately when that happened was quite intrigued because it's like well if this would happen last season it was kind of game done at that point at Carrow Road they concede a goal their performance would drop off the edge of a cliff uh, and they'd not be able to muster themselves again the biggest compliment you can give to them is that it didn't affect what they did that much they carried on they were as dominant they played in in the same way um but then, obviously, the, the nature of the winning goal and the way that came about for all of the reasons that we spoke about there in terms of the feeling around the place, that probably felt like it's always the best way to win a game when you score a last-minute winner. But for David Wagner particularly, just to build on all of those elements, that would have been quite close, I'd imagine, to his ideal beyond maybe the defensive error. Yeah, I agree with that, I think, for all the, the reasons you outlined, really. And I think they needed that moment to um to bring them probably closer to fans and he referenced it in his um post match press conference that although he felt the fans were with them um throughout the game which i'd agree with and they did to be fair respond well to the goal conceded as the team did um i think you can probably chalk that mainly up to the fresh start of a, a new season and everyone's excitement after months without competitive football and the sort of moment that obviously happened when Adamida scored that goal is is rare and is the sort of thing that bonds teams and fans and and players and everyone around a club and I know the the club behind the scenes and in their dealings with supporters this summer have probably got that higher up their list of priorities than it was this time last year but the amount of times we've said in recent weeks that you can do whatever you want off the pitch and message things however you want success on the pitch is, is the most important thing and these moments I think are the thing that probably bring fans closest to the players you look at that 2018-19 season when that bond was closer than I've probably ever seen and there was a number of those times and it's not just the effect the goal has on the fans it's those sorts of moments are generated by belief and by the the fans believing that they're their team can go and do that and you felt that when they sort of when they all rose and they all um 
cheered when that corner was given towards the end. They still had belief that their team could do it and you can understand why after the performance they had put in at least for the first 60-70 minutes because they had created enough chances to probably win the game 4-1, 5-1 and um, I think everyone in that stadium probably felt it was realistic that they could create another one or two chances to try and win that game. So I think for a number of reasons that was a fantastic way to start the season for Norwich um, and I think the fact that the performance came with it was really vital for them as well because there were probably a few wins like that, maybe not with last-minute winners not coming from behind, but where they were getting narrow wins against teams that they probably should be expecting to beat. And the message was almost like that they were winning and, and wondering what else um, you expected. But I think what's positive about now is that we don't have to add any caveats and we don't have to talk about the fact that the performance will come because everything that realistically we want to see from Norwich this season and as you say I'm not we can't get carried away because it's the first game of the season but realistically I think if they perform like that in every game then they'll reach at least the playoffs um, and we saw all the elements that we probably want to see throughout the season so um, yeah it was a really really encouraging one I think David Wagner will be very pleased he seemed pleased with the performance afterwards he spoke about the fact that he probably wanted to see a little bit more of a clinical edge but uh, as much of a cliche as it is I think you'd much rather be creating those chances and not putting them away than struggling to create those chances which is what we've seen from Norwich throughout the last two years really um, and actually something that we were worried about going into the game even throughout pre-season I don't think there's been a game where they've looked that fluid and that strong attack-wise, I think that's the most chances they've created probably going back to right at the start of Wagner's tenure when they had that sort of new manager bounce and put four past Preston and Coventry. Um, and I think we've been waiting for that sort of performance. So for it to come now in a game where there's so much expectation and so much excitement, not only speaks to the abilities of the players technically and on the pitch, but also to their mentalities. To be able to deliver when it most matters um, was really encouraging for me because they have had a good pre-season, but we've seen a number of pre-seasons that don't reflect how the the actual campaign pans out whatsoever. Uh, and it's quite a lot easier to perform, I think, in those scenarios where, you know, even at Carrow Road, there was only 13,000 people there. When they went abroad, probably a couple of hundred fans maximum were, were there with them. So to be able to deliver with that expectation on them, albeit slightly less pressure than there was on the team last season, um, was really, really encouraging for me. So, yeah, I think a number of aspects that Wagner would have been pleased with, not only the manner of victory, but just the number of things that we saw mentality-wise and ability-wise that, that Norwich probably need to deliver throughout the championship season now. You, you speak about lack of expectation there, which is which is right. I, I found this a really interesting opening fixture for Norwich, uh, not necessarily because of the opponents, more because of the conditions, because, and again, eventually at some point we have to leave last season alone and we have to stop referring to it, but... It's hard to ignore heading into this game that all of that context was there and overhanging it. And the opening day of the season traditionally can be quite uh, liberating for teams because you can play with a freedom and, and you're not weighed down by where you are in the league or what the other team is. Everyone is is kind of on a on a level, level playing field. And it's more kind of about, I guess, exploring where you are and, and, and testing yourself competitively against an opponent, like you said. For Norwich, it kind of felt more than that today, Paddy, for all of the reasons that we spoke about, for those crowd elements, for the connection elements, for the way that it seemed to be kind of teetering is the best way that I, I, I've kind of described it. And I think we were all kind of waiting to see what side it 
fell. And, that, and look, a win today does not mean that Norwich, as I said, and as you said as well, Sam, doesn't mean that they are going to now go on and push through the championship and brush teams aside. But for right here, right now, that that win felt important. But then you begin to look into the kind of nuts and bolts of it, the detail of it. You lift the bonnet up on it. The performance there was was much more sustained, particularly that first half, Paddy, where they were so structured, so tactically um, sound, created opportunities at will, but different type of opportunities. They could cross the ball into to Sergeant and Barnes and Sergeant Lee scored with that header. They had John Rowe inverting. They had Ono Hernandez inverting. They had the fullbacks pushing on. They were able to play through the lines with Gabriel Sara. There was a real variation in terms of what they were doing. Um, and I think that's the most pleasing element of it. And I was sat there at half-time going, oh, blimey, I, I'm not sure the last time I saw Norwich City players well as this. I think you'd be going back to the championship campaign that they won under under Daniel Farker in terms of performance. OK, the seasons subsequently have been pretty grim and I, uh, I'll give you that. But it was a really, really, that first half in isolation, a really, really good performance. They hit the post twice, they created numerous opportunities. That kind of set the tone for the rest of the afternoon, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would add the caveat. I mean, you would expect Hull will not be anywhere threatening the top half of the table. So, you know, it's it's also levels and who they played against. But, you know, OK, maybe that's to dial down. Uh, I agree with what you both said. In terms of a car road um, exercise, that is, that is a long way removed from... I mean, as you're talking here, I'm thinking... Sunderland picked that game out down the stretch last season, which came actually, if I've got my sequencing right, straight after the Millwall game where they'd won away at Millwall, Gabby Zara scores, here we go, playoffs and and more probably coming now from this group. Next game, Sunderland at Carr Road. They give away a poor goal from a turnover in their own half and um, and never remotely looked like threatening to get back into that game. And And the parallel for me is this afternoon, another poor goal in their own half, similar area of the pitch, punished, but the response was night and day from that Sunderland game. So if you if you're benchmarking against this, could be different now. This this feels different. And there for me was the the two parallels. I would I would I would cross reference in terms of games. But as I say, I don't I don't think Hull are up to much this season. You know they had the lad Delap up front who was very good, um, probably the best player on the pitch. I felt and him aside, I didn't think there was they, they had much yet. Bar, bar Adam Eder's 96th minute intervention, that's a draw today. So, you know, as I say, positives, clearly a step in the right direction, undeniably a step in the right direction, but but only a small step. And, and they'll, the sample will have to be much wider. They'll have to, they'll you know, next week now they go to Southampton, who look like they're going to be right in the front rank. That will be a good test. If they come through that and scave, draw or win, then a little bit more belief, um, and, and maybe raising of the bar in terms of expectation level around this group. So, yeah, we'll, we'll accentuate the positives, obviously, today. But um, but you'd, you'd want to see a lot more to, to feel that definitively what happened last season isn't going to be repeated, nowhere near it. And that um, the prevailing current is going to be, you know, in a forward direction now. It's just it's just nice to just to reflect just on a, a 90 minutes really at home. Where there's more positives and negatives, and and I'm I'm pretty sure I'm if I was to look back at well, I don't know the last ten or eleven car road games, you'd say the opposite was true, and uh, and uh, it was looking for the shafts of positivity in amongst the gloom. So 
on that measure alone, you know, it, we should we should accentuate the positives from today's game. But as I say, I mean, I, I think Hull are fairly average in terms of championship standards, um, and I would want to see this Norwich go up against Southampton. Will be the first test for me next week and uh, and thereafter. But um, but yeah, and we'll, we'll obviously drill down into you know the, the the facets of what made it a good performance overall. But yeah, I, I think you know given what we saw in pre-season, I think they've carried on in that fashion rather than it's a regression and, and when it, when the real stuff came around and it was about withstanding the adversity and self-inflicted in terms of the goal they gave away, could they come again? We got an answer today. Yes, this group can come again. And that alone, if you take one thing away from today, not the result necessarily, not the, the Cairo win, um, but just because there's absolute can guarantee in this league, this season with the teams who are in it, they will face adversity um, very often, home and away. And you get a sense now, and we felt it anyway. You know, you bring Barnes into the group, you drop Duffy into the group, even Stacey, Fastnack, very experienced individual as well, that they're going to be a bit more resilient. And that's, as we know, David Wagner mapped out his summer recruitment at the end of last season, mentality, mentality, mentality. And it looks like he's addressed that. And uh, and we saw the first evidence of it today in, in the real setting where it mattered. You know, when they fell behind through their own failings defensively um, they found a way and, and that's, if you're going to achieve anything this season finding a way when you're maybe not playing at your best when you're facing adversity you know all the sides you've gone up even fluid sides like the Farker season first time around but even the second time around they didn't have it all their own way but they, they had that intangible that, that when the going got tough they were able to sort of um, you know find a way through it and uh, it's a great attribute to have and it's it's something you can only bring in with with the right individuals in the mix and um you know that for me is probably the thing I'll take forward now that we now know that when they find themselves in adversity this group can respond it's not just in a pre-season setting they can do it when it really matters and I think to take Sam's point yeah whatever the season holds I, I, I now I've seen them in evidence today I'm pretty sure it won't be 13th or below I think we can set our sights a little bit higher than that and then how high, then time will tell, and and you know how how well they can gel with and without the ball. But but the the signs after today, um, rather than just talking about it in a pre-season setting, that they would suggest that yeah maybe Wagner has brought in the the things he wanted to bring into this group in terms of personnel, in terms of mindset and mentality, and that if they can get the right mix in terms of the youth and the talent in the, in the ranks and. You know, I'm really excited actually to see Boa Science dropped in here. I think if you take Hernandez out and drop him into that team today, um, and he de- and he starts to deliver what he suggests he will deliver. If you look at his career in Turkey last season, then that really does start to whet the appetite about what Norwich can do going forward. And then for me, then there's a residual issue at centre back in terms of the personnel there, and that isn't just about today's goal that was conceded, but I just I felt that before the ball was kicked. I'm not not convinced about Ben Gibson, if I'm honest, as a left centre-back, um, but that in itself might, might hinge on what happens with Andrew Mbaba daily between now and the end of the window, I think, because if he goes, they will bring one in, and I'll be very interested if they do bring in another centre-back, if it's a left-sided one, uh, to really compete with Gibson on that sort of left-hand balance part of the equation. But as I said, we... Don't want to nitpick too much because today's about a positive afternoon. But um, yeah, ultimately, I think it, what we've seen today is irrefutable evidence that they are on the right track. 
Yeah, and, and the big question for me was there's been so much talk about mentality and experience, but actually is there quality beneath that? And you look at someone like Jack Stacey, you think, yes, yes, there is. And you look at uh, John Rowe, uh, not on the experience spectrum, but yes, there is Shane Duffy when he's not blasting balls at Ben Gibson uh, for Liam Delap to run onto. I think has, has shown himself to be a positive addition so far as well. So uh, baby steps, that that maybe that phrase green shoots that we like to use at, at the start of the season plenty more to be developed for example I mean you mentioned I'll mention a, a caveat just for balance I think after 75 minutes the, well maybe after even 65 minutes the levels dropped uh, pretty significantly um, whether that's fitness whether that's I don't know John Rowe going off or whatever we'll, we'll come back to it but uh, yeah that that that's one to watch as well Sam just just finally on kind of this segment before perhaps we move on to some more individual elements both players and game um you spoke to fans before the game, after the game. Did you see a real shift in mood before the game or after the game compared to before the game? Uh, what, what were the fans feeling when, when you were out there speaking to them? Yeah, I think it depends who you speak to, really. I'm not sure they were overwhelmed with excitement just based on that result. But I actually felt like people were quite positive going into it. I think as much as we talk about how pre-season isn't uh, an especially tangible time in terms of what you can actually take from it and you can't learn too much from it um, I think winning 2-0 in front of home fans with those new signings in the team really did help and I think the the things that the club have tried to do to make a difference with supporters have have made a difference throughout the summer they've brought in obviously players who I think fans like and who will have a good relationship with the fans in you know Shane Duffy and, and Jack Stacey, but especially Ashley Barnes, who already seems like a little bit of a, a fan favourite and a cult hero. And um, I think this is the sort of team that fans are are going to get on with very well. Um, but there was, I think, a, 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 an increase in expectation um, from what I was seeing before kickoff. I think the positive mood was around the club. But as I said earlier about... Um, sort of Wagner and how he spoke about the relationship with fans I think that felt to me like more optimism around the fresh start that a season provides whereas I think when I was speaking to them about what they expected and sort of their predictions for the season everyone that I spoke to um, after the game um, bar, bar one said that they thought Norwich now could push for the playoffs whereas I would say probably less than half that I'd spoke to before the game, you know, both right before and sort of around pre-season had said that um, they thought it was going to be a struggle and that they'd be absolutely delighted with, with sixth place. And as much as we don't want to, um, you know, as we've spoken about already three or four times on this pod, take from one game the fact that Norwich are going to be good throughout the season, I think the fact that they've proved that they can do it probably does raise that level of expectation because although consistency is such a huge um, part of football and you can't take it for granted and especially in the championship I think where the teams ability wise seem to be so close to each other um, consistency does play a big role I think the fact that Norwich fans have now seen that they can produce that means that they're probably expecting to see it more regularly and that's fair because if Wagner as head coach has the tools available to him which we've seen today he definitely has then there's going to be expectation on him to be able to get that out of the players on a regular basis so um yeah I think they're feeling quite positive probably compared to how they were well I think anything really is positive compared to how they were last season um 
but that level of expectation just seems to be inching slowly forwards and um, it is interesting actually how quickly that thing can change in football and we should never be surprised about how quickly things can change in the sport because we see that on such a regular basis but Paddy's right in that if they get a good result at Southampton there's going to be plenty of predictions that they'll be in the playoffs and that they might even compete for automatic promotion we saw them win two or three games in a row midway through last season and people were pretty relaxed about the possibility of playoffs and already probably thinking about um, what their plans would be around Wembley at the end of the season so um yeah, I think that's good for Norwich at the moment, actually, how quickly things can change um, just because they desperately, desperately needed them to change um, from last season. So, yeah, I think it's good news and it was nice to be back in Akara Road um, where people were excited to get behind the team and I'm never one to criticise fans for voicing their opinions because I think they pay their money and they dedicate an awful lot of their lives to to this team and they had to put up with a lot of dross to be honest last season especially the ones that don't travel to away games because the the form at Carrow Road had been so poor for so long so it's amazing news for Wagner right now that one win can can do everything that it has um, and I'm not saying that that has to be shallow because Norwich could well now deliver on that on a, a regular basis which would be fantastic news for everyone but um, I think Norwich really needed a fast start and the pressure, as I've spoken about before on other videos and podcasts, is rightly on David Wagner because fans are desperate to avoid that cycle we spoke about on a number of podcasts last season, actually, of Norwich don't want to get into a way of having to bring a manager in every October to save the season. So um, quite a lot of pressure on Wagner to succeed um, this year and the fact that he's now got fans on side mainly on side probably with with one performance is uh, is probably going to make his job a lot easier and uh, the same with the players so yeah it's really nice to be back at Carrow Road which for the majority of my time going there has been a positive place to be and a nice place to be um, and it's nice to feel that it's getting back to that after a couple of years of of real struggle for that fan base. Indeed. Um, let's let's reflect. I'm, I'm probably talking mainly about the winning goal here because I think there's some mechanics in it to to investigate. Uh, obviously, Liam Delap, as as you mentioned, gave gave Hull the lead uh, in the first half. Bit of a defensive error. Well, I'm probably being kind by saying bit of a major defensive error from Norwich's uh, two centre backs. Whoever you want to attribute blame with, I think they're both culpable. Uh, John Rowe then equalised. Again, we will come on to him. Uh, Paddy's itching to speak about John Rowe. I can, I can see it in his eyes. We all come, we all come back to him. Uh, he he equalised uh, in first half stoppage time, and then it was the 96th minute that Adam Eder pops up to score the winner, which led to quite the uh, the circus, to coin one of Paddy's terms. Uh, we had a um, lot of unhappy whole people, none more so than uh, Liam Rossini, who saw red for his uh, for his protests afterwards. Uh, his assistant, Justin Walker, also very unhappy in his press conference around three elements to this goal. One in particular, which uh, I'm going to rubbish straight away, so no one else has to, the timing element. Uh, he, uh, Justin Walker, came out in his, his press conference and said uh, that they cleared the ball from the corner at 5 minutes 15 um, into a safe place. Therefore, that was the time that Keith Stroud should have blown his whistle. First and foremost with that, it's minimum. It, they're always an additional minimum, you know, time of five minutes. That's that's the, the the phrase. Their goalkeeper got booked for time wasting. We had a corner. When you add both of those events on, you get to the time that we got to anyway. Because after kickoff, 
uh, after play resumed, after the, the whole kind of discussion element between Keith Stroud and the assistant referee, the, re the whistle blew for full time. So I think the time was about right. Um, so I don't have any issues there. The two points that I do think they have a case on, uh, the corner was one as a result of Jack Stacey pulling the ball back. We've seen various frames. They're not from the best angle. They never are. You're, you're working with limited angles when you're outside the Premier League, essentially. Um, but the frames that we have seen, it makes it look like the ball was out of play. Therefore, uh, the corner should not have been awarded. But we've needed a zoomed-in frame. I couldn't. I didn't see an issue in real time. So I think it's unfair for us to say the linesman should have spotted that um, in real time as well. But the case is the ball looks out of play. And then the second point, which I think is probably their strongest case, is the question of offside. And again, watched it back now. I hadn't when I recorded the verdict. Uh, Ida is onside when Nunez's cross comes in. Uh, it then hits defender uh, McLaughlin and falls into his path where he is in an offside position to prod home. Now, this is, this is where it gets slightly uh, complex because the ruling, the law around this is... Uh, McLaughlin's action, because Ida is in an offside position, has to be deemed by the referee to be a deliberate attempt to play the ball. So the referee, Keith Stroud, and his linesman, clearly that's what the conversation was about uh, in the period that followed. They clearly reached the decision that he had made a conscious effort to play that ball through to Adam Ida. Personally, I think that's a harsh way to interpret that law, but that is how they've interpreted it. Um, had he of not so if it had been viewed that he accidentally played that ball or there wasn't a deliberate attempt to play the ball through to Adamida, that goal would have and should have been uh, disallowed. Hopefully you're still with us. Paddy, um, what what is your I'm really loath to talk about refereeing decisions because David Wagner said it, I agree with him. Norwich City won this game on merit, I believe, for the quality of their performance across the game. They were dominant, they were the better team. Hull obviously feel agreed. They've conceded a, a, a late equaliser that's robbed them of a point that was probably unjust over the course of the game from, uh, as we've discussed in the opening half an hour or so. Just talk to me a little bit about that Adam Eder goal and the controversy around it. We'll get into, obviously, the Adam Eder element and the fact that he was the goal scorer later on. You've already touched upon that. But the actual mechanics around that law, do you feel the officials have interpreted that in the right way? Do you think it's difficult to argue with the way they've interpreted it? What's your, your view, I guess, on those three specifics that Justin Walker, Hull City's assistant manager, that was particularly upset about? Well, I mean, he was sat in that chair post-match and you can watch the, his full video on, on the Pinkton channels now by the time this uh, podcast record is out. But he's only sat in that chair because Rossini got the red card and as such, apparently that is a new ruling one of many, and you've touched on another one in terms of the deliberate nature of a, a, a an action prior to an offside call. But he, he wouldn't have been sat in that chair otherwise if Rossini hadn't got sent off. And I don't know whether he was a bit dazzled by the cameras or whatever. But um, but the, 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 the two of those three are for the birds. You know, the one about the timekeeping. And um, it's, it's interesting. My my issue is I think he's got a stronger case with the other two. And he went with the timing one as baby being yeah. the prominent one. It was like, oh, and the lad might have been in an offside position. But, so. but, it, but, but, but not really even with the one that's because it's been awarded. It's, it's, and like you say, there isn't a definitive angle. It looks like, yes, it probably was over the line from Stacey when the original corner was awarded, for, from which, you know, led to the sequence of events, finished with Ida, um, you know, inflicting that defeat on Hall. But uh, but then it's it's been awarded. And this is my where I'm zoning in. It, what 
what are the official, the referee, Keith Stroud, and his assistant, far side assistant, what are they discussing in the aftermath of Eden's goal? They're not discussing, they're not reliving, did that ball go out for a corner in three actions previous? Yeah. So they're not talking about that. They're not talking about the timekeeping issue because that's clearly in the gift of Keith Stroud. Why would he need to consult an official about timekeeping? They're, they're clearly talking about, and you mapped it out very clearly, me and you, Connor, were on a an EFL briefing in the week, actually, um, with a, a PGMO uh, official um, and talking about various matters, you know, the, the, the in-game time added on element. Um, it's quite ironic now, it? Isn't is it? now, yeah. Well, <laughs> consider both Norwich's goals, both. John Rowe's yeah. goal was three minutes into added on time in the first half, but but I don't think they specifically there, there might have, I can't remember now, Connor, but there might have been a, a discussion around the, the offside um, act. But but if you go and look at the ruling, it's as you if, if it is in the opinion of the officials a deliberate act, then Adamida is onside. So you know. That could be where the frustration is, but I, I tend to think if it, it's probably not one thing with, with the, from the whole point of view. It's just pure frustration at 96 minutes into a game. They'd probably been happy to get back on the coach, head up to Humberside with a point uh, in their back pocket, That given how the game unfolded and how they were on the ropes for quite a considerable amount of time, certainly in that first hour. And then to have that snatched away, I think, of course, then you, you know your immediate thought is, you know, there's there's been an injustice here or whatever, and then you're you're grasping for the the elements of that narrative. But uh, but for me, it's it's very clear it, that goal has been allowed because the officials' opinion is that the Hall player, prior to either slotting it when he is in an offside position when the ball reaches him, that was a deliberate action on the part of that. Whole player, and as such, do you, think, do you think it? Do you think it was? Do you think that's the correct? Oh, I, I haven't seen. Well, I've only seen it in real time. Really, I've not. Maybe I've seen it a fraction of it on a highlights reel, but uh, in real time, it, how can you possibly tell? Certainly from our vantage, that's where the officials are there. They, 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 they have the best view in the house in terms of that act, and you know they have to make a call. But then you know. We, we could spend our lives discussing, you know, where has the referee got that from and, and he's got that wrong. And there was one or two incidents in the first half where Norwich were unhappy with him. I you thought know? he'd done a Graham pole at one point and given, yeah, a, given well, one player two yellow cards. Exactly, yeah. But there was, a, you know, there was one or two occasions when, when um, Sargent's gone down and I think Norwich felt that they had justifiable claims for a penalty. and yeah, Handball as well. Handball as well in the second half. So, as I say, we could, you know, we could, we could have a pod every week just on refereeing um, calls, good or bad. So... Ultimately, they they have made the decision that it was a deliberate act, and as such, the goal stands. They are the laws of the game, and um, if you're Norwich, you're delighted. As David Wagner said, he's been plenty of times in, in the whole side of that as a as a head coach, and and it's hugely frustrating. And that burning sense of injustice, I'm sure, will, will take a while to 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 leave Rossini and his coaching team and his players. But you know, take a step back. Norwich had 28 attempts on goal. You know, they've hit the post twice. Um, They've gifted Hull their goal, really. I don't think... And David Wagner, that's the first thing he said when he sat down. However the game has panned out, uh, you couldn't really dispute on the balance of that game. Norwich deserved to win that game. And I don't think whether you're talking at it from a Norwich perspective or even a Hull perspective, you could dispute that that, that was you know the, the, the logical outcome. But, of course, it's one thing saying that. But when it arrives in, in that manner, you know, of course, I mean, let's put ourselves in Hull's shoes if it was the other way around and we were at the... Is it a KC still or whatever it's K-com. called? KCOM, yeah. And uh, and Norwich looked like they they'd battled to a spirited point, whether or not against the run of play, but nevertheless seconds from a point and heading back to Norfolk, and then 
you can see the goal in that manner. You, you know, David Wagner probably would want wander into his press conference and um, and make much play of that. So, I think it's the nature of the beast, really. It, it's 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 gone for Norwich, I think rightly. Um, but if you hold, yeah, I, I, you understand the frustration because uh, so close and and yet they start their season with a defeat and uh, you know. Norwich, I'm sure, would, would feel that there's been plenty of times, certainly in the second half of last season, where they didn't quite get the rub of the green uh, with with the officials. So, you know, they'll take any any help from any quarter they can get, really. But, uh, yeah, now, I, as I say, if if that is the ruling and that's the interpretation, then I don't, I don't see what the argument is, really. I mean, certainly the timekeeping and the ball going over the line, well, I, 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 I don't think they come into the equation. It is very much for my mind, around that. And, and Walker's comments, his assistant, they sort of almost clouded this, the situation there because he, he didn't really make much play of that. It, it was very much for him about the timekeeping, which seemed a strange take, I have to say. So we've covered the goal and the controversies around that. Like I say, I don't like, and you said, we can have a pod every week on referees and we, and we could do. I think it's only important we do that maybe when there's some clarity or some insight that, that we can give or they've dropped an absolute whopper. Um, and uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case here um let's talk about john Rowe then sam because the, it, it was it's really interesting because it feels like he's been around it for a little while now obviously he was first introduced and had his toes dipped into the norwich city first team pond um just before they got relegated from the premier league he was a shining light in that uh along with tony spring as well it has to be has to be said spring got a start in that run-in uh, away at leicester Rowe wasn't given that he had injury problems last year stress fracture which then uh, as he was coming back from when Norwich went out to Tampa and played on, I think, what was the equivalent of a ploughed field, uh, did his ankle, which put him out for pretty much the rest of the season. And then he was sort of confined to a few substitute appearances. So it had last year completely written off. So with all of that in mind, you had the weird situation where today was actually his first senior Norwich City start. Uh, I've seen a stat on social media, I think from NCFC numbers, saying that he's the first academy product to, I think, score on debut since Darren Eady, if that's correct. Maybe it's wide player. I need to, I'll, I'll check that when you're speaking. Um, but we've spoken about him a little bit. I, I remember me and Paddy speaking about him maybe in Austria. Might have been a, a different podcast, but he certainly made a bright impact. He's someone that we know David Wagner likes. And I think, I said it earlier, that, that felt like a career-changing goal. It felt like a real moment, a real kind of uh, bursting onto the scene, maybe to, to use that expression from from him. And the goal's going to be highlighted, but the overall performance was really impressive. Yeah, and I think we saw a level of substance that we maybe haven't seen on such a consistent basis from Rowe. And it's probably understandable given, as you said, this was his first start. He's been playing in sort of fits and starts and 20 minutes here, half an hour there. Um, and he hasn't really got the chance to put a whole performance together. But I thought we saw a number of elements that maybe he hasn't been able to, to put into his play yet. There was a lot of tracking back that I don't think many people would have associated him with. Um, a lot of good link-up with Jack Stacey, which is commendable given the fact that obviously Stacey came in this summer and they haven't played too much uh, time together. And to see that end product from him was really exciting for me because... You see a lot of players come in, especially in the circumstances in which he made his debut when Norwich were really struggling to compete in the Premier League and it was almost like they had nothing to lose and therefore there wasn't actually much pressure on him, um, as well as the fact that fans were just looking for any positive um, amongst some really dire performances and results. 
So it was hard to judge whether there actually was any substance in there or if it was just somebody who was coming in with a lot of passion and a lot of excitement and hunger and that that was just earning plaudits um, that way. He's obviously somebody who hasn't ever had a loan. He hasn't spent much time or, or any time, in fact, in senior football before he made that debut and before today. You know, as you as you outlined, he's he's not played a lot of minutes in senior football, so he has made quite a significant jump from from where he's played before. Um, and I was a little bit worried that with all this hype surrounding him, he wasn't going to be able to deliver the sorts of goals and assists that I think a lot of people were hoping he was able to contribute. So to see him uh, smash the ball into the top corner with his weaker foot shows that he has got that in his locker and that he can produce that on a high level. And not only that, but whenever Norwich looked dangerous, he seemed to be in and around it, whether it was combining with Stacey for one of them to get to the byline and cut it back. There was a chance early in the half when he let one go on his left foot and it hit the post. Um, I thought he was in and around it in a way that I didn't really expect, to be honest. I don't think there's been too many signs that he was actually going to produce the the level of involvement that he has. He seemed to me like his sort of traditional winger and maybe even fit into the sort of Ono Hernandez bracket of being willing to take players on, having a little a little bit of pace and exciting crowds, um, which I think is quite easy to do when you're at a professional level. So actually for him to deliver with a lot of substance was a really encouraging sign for Norwich going forward. And we know that under Wagner, they're probably not going to have a Buendia type, a Hulan type. They're not going to create too many chances that sort of way. Um, maybe Gabriel Sara is the closest thing they have to that. But they do need to find goals and assists from somewhere. And uh, now they've lost Tamer Pukki. Uh, they obviously lost Kieran Dowell, who, although his game time was limited by injury when he was in the team, contributed a lot of that. They needed somebody, or probably a few players, in fact, this season to step up. And with Science out injured, obviously, for the start of the campaign, and we expect him back soon, but with him out injured and with Ashley Barnes not having the most prolific goal-scoring record throughout his career, I think there probably was a little bit of worry as to where where physically this creativity was going to come from. And um, if he can continue to produce moments like that, and not only that, but he was creating chances for people, he was linking with people well um, then I think he can be a, a really key player for Norwich this season it's much like the team as a whole we can't get carried away just based on one performance and um, a lot of the time when you get to the end of the season and you look at a team that started and even done well at the start of it it looks completely different to, to how it ends up so Rowe isn't now guaranteed to go on and be a, a complete success in a yellow and green shirt but he certainly showed as did the the rest of the team that he's got he's got that ability in him and um that will be a relief for Wagner because they were going into the season without too many players who have proven that before, proven that they can produce those those numbers. And I know that he appears a, a bit more defensive in his management and a little bit more focused on that side of things. So probably the margins for where Norwich how many goals Norwich need to score throughout the season and things like that are slightly lower than they have been previously they do still need to get enough goals to to fire them hopefully to the playoffs and um i think he's going to contribute to that significantly if today was any sign of what he's going to produce throughout the season and it's now actually becoming a really interesting mix because um you know once once science is back 
it looks like if Rowe continues to perform, then either one of him and, and Fasnacht, the two probably headline and most exciting signings for Norwich this summer, uh, are going to have to miss out. And from a place that looked like it was really lacking depth in Norwich's wide areas to now one of those where one of those is going to have to one of those players is going to have to miss out. Um, it it will be a a really interesting one for David Wagner to choose from, and obviously you've got to throw Ono Hernandez into the mix as well and this is a little bit of a tangent but he didn't really impress me today to be honest I think the the difference between somebody who last year was one of the players Norwich fans were relying upon to give them some sort of excitement and somebody who was a little bit of an unknown quantity uh, for one of them to be so quiet in Hernandez and the other one to have such a key role in the game in row um, was really interesting and I think he's firmly put himself at the top of the wing winger pecking order for probably a few weeks now um, when he faces some, some stern competition so yes yeah, going to be an interesting one to follow as I said I don't want to get too carried away but um, that was an absolutely fantastic individual performance and uh, it does does bode well for his future career uh, at Norwich City. Yeah, you know, Jack Stacey uh, sparkling water. If you watch the uh, if you watch the goal back, uh, Stacey's overlapping run pulls the fullback away and creates that space inside for Rowe just to shift it onto his left foot. Bang, top corner. So uh, yeah, f- felt like I needed to to shout out Jack Stacey that who who did some brilliant work all afternoon. I don't think we're gonna have time to delve into him. Timmy Yanulis as well on the on the on the left side is the best I've seen him play for a significant period of time as well. I thought he was. Really effective, but just just on road pad because it's it's quite interesting. Um, I spoke to someone who who used to coach him a while back, who um, said it's been quite interesting, sort of watching him into the. And this was the period where he would have been the Premier League element, I guess. And it said it's interesting, kind of watching him come in because uh, he's quite. And I think Darren Eady said similar to you when when you recorded a video with him. He's quite a confident lad. And it's interesting when a young player gets put into a first-team environment. I think he's spoken about this before, how maybe he came over and there was a bit of uh, of arrogance a bit strong, but certainly a lot of confidence and maybe how he had to be brought down a bit and kind of find his place, I guess, in that in that dressing room culture. And it's interesting because I think in, in those early part of the performances, the person I was speaking to was basically making the case that instead of doing what he did today and cutting inside and having a shot for himself, he was maybe finding the overlapping pass or playing it to a senior player it feels now like he's he's kind of in a uh, you can get really deep and profound with this what I want to say is like oh he's found himself but that sounds far too deep for, for what I actually mean kind of feels like he's settled I guess is the right word in that first team environment that feels like he's maybe that he feels he should be there now I'm not always sure that was the case um, a while back because there's no doubting the talent I think we saw that today and the threat and Sam mentioned it a little bit. He was really interesting because he was causing issues on the outside, and we saw that maybe with the the penalty appeal that they had uh, against Lewis Coyle. But he was also causing problems when he came in invert and and cut inside. And you saw what he he could do on his left foot. He's a really exciting player, and there's a lot of excitement around him. And there always has been internally, but maybe now because of that goal, it feels like supporters have have, have just had that carrot dangled in front of them as well. He's set the bar for himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, two things. The word, you know, you're probably looking for there, Connor, is maturity. Because That's the word I'm looking for, yeah. Only because David himself said it again today and also said it after the Olympiacos game. There is a lad who's maturing now in terms of football, but also maybe, you know, as a personality within the group dynamic. And and that maturity, you can see he's comfortable in his surroundings, as you say, and um, and he's expressing himself. And that's his natural effervescence I think shining shining through in that performance today and 
what that could do for him now. Um, because, I mean, he probably won't get a lot of sleep tonight, I would imagine. He'll, the adrenaline will be coursing through his veins. Well, you meant it being a nightclub. <laughs> well, uh, that's a different podcast entirely. If you want to go and doorstep him with a GoPro or whatever down to Prince of Wales, I don't know if that's where he's going. But uh, good luck to him, whatever he's doing. But uh, if he keeps performing on the pitch, that's that, that that's that's all I'm worried about anyway. And uh, not his dancing moves, but it, what... Um, what an impact! But it's kind. Of, it feels like today. It's not a huge shock to me because no. we've kind of seen this in pre-season, the incremental steps in his performance, both with and without the ball. I remember at the, in the Darmstadt game that he got himself a booking, which is quite a rarity in itself in pre-season because he was too aggressive in his defensive work and he was too keen almost to make an impression. Because you know, if you remember, David Wagner came out and almost he, he lined up all the available wide players on the starting line at the start of pre-season and said. There's an opportunity here for somebody to step forward with goals and assists, but it just their general performance and make my mind up for me. And and you repeated that in the early part of pre-season. And it is very clear when that team news dropped this afternoon, science out of the equation, of course, because of his injury. But in terms of the other available wide, I mean, Poeta, not even in the squad, although David did confirm after the game that was an illness-related issue. But let's be honest, even if he'd been fit and available and in, in his selection thoughts, he's not knocking Rowe out in terms of a place in the eleven. Fashnacht, Okay, you could say maybe because he's had quite a, a turbulent or, or not turbulent, but a very hectic week or two since he arrived and sort of having a bomb between London and Austrian training camp and back to Switzerland and then back into the to the UK again with the visa elements. Maybe Wagner weighed it up and felt um, probably we won't start. But I, I think I'd tend to turn that around and say he didn't feel he needed to because he knows in row he's got a player who's really stepped up and really delivering. And as David said again after the game today, if you're a wide player, you don't play in his team if you don't do that defensive side of it. And there was, uh, agreed, I mean, we'll focus on his attacking work, but there was one incident, Norwich corner, ball breaks down, you've got almost a five-on-one, and then who comes out of nowhere? John Rowe to stop that counter. I think it was towards the end of the first half. And I could imagine David Varner just looking at it and thinking, you will do for me, basically, irrespective of him then going on and doing what he did in terms of his attacking work. If he starts to deliver with and without the ball, what he's shown today, very high bar he set himself. But I get the sense, just because of the character we hear he is, and we're now seeing that personality coming out on the pitch, he will he will look at that as, yeah, I believe I'm good enough to hit that mark every week, and I want to show that and show people I can step up and I can accept that responsibility to almost be a creative catalyst in this team and. You know, he's 20 years of age and it is worth reiterating that was his first start in a Norwich shirt. So it's a very young man very early on in his career. But yeah, I'll go back to what I said right at the start of this this answer. You know, David Wagner can detect there's a maturity coming through in him, himself as a person, but also as a footballer. And you would think what's happened today, um, if he can process that and, and keep his feet firmly on the ground and, and, and just take it on a notch, then... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean those fears maybe at the start of pre-season about what what do, what does the wide areas of this squad look like? They're going to be unfounded, and and you can now see quite clearly, probably see it even before today, but why he's willing to let Jolis go, why you know Puerta isn't quite where he needs him to be, and why more importantly, even if Jolis does go, he's not going to be bringing in another wide player because he can see in John Rowe, he has a player potentially who could could take the championship by storm. If he if he stays fit, stays healthy, stays grounded in terms of his attitude and, and hunger and you know the way he carries himself on the pitch and not thinking he's the finished article because there's still plenty of work to do in his game. But 
all all the raw ingredients are there um, to to have the sort of season that, in very quick order, he will have uh, clubs higher up the food chain looking at him and thinking, uh, you know, there's a player. Dare I say it? Because he's getting talked about a lot at the minute. But look at Elise's rise. You know, Reading, Palace. Now he's getting linked with some very very big clubs. You know, it's not beyond the realms that we have in John Rowe, a player who could go on a similar trajectory. But that's you know that's for the that's for long into the future. Right here, right now, what we've seen today is, um, you know, as you said at the start, kind of could be a career changing episode for him so early on in his career. But uh, you know, it's great to see. It's just great to see that that youth and that vibrancy and just that kind of wide-eyed innocence about it all because, unfortunately, towards the end of last season, it was tired. I'm talking Norwich generally. It was just a tired end-of-an-era feel. Um, And in a player like Rowe, you do have optimism for quite a fresh new chapter. And uh, and obviously, Liam Gibbs, I put him in the mix, didn't get on today, but he's another very talented young player. And there's one or two others around there. So maybe, despite, okay, they've gone on the older end of the spectrum in terms of their summer business in the main, you know, there are underneath that science. Science is what, 22, 23. So you can you can see on a broader footing, you know, that with with the older players and the younger players, and this is where Wagner's coaches have to get it right, they can meld that and get that formula right. The, the, the byproduct of that could be a, a very, very good season for Norwich. But, you know, it is one step and it is a fairly average hole they've beaten today. So, so like I say, I mean, we'll... We'll certainly know a little bit more by this time to, uh, next week. Sorry, when they've been to the South Coast and they've took on a promotion challenge in Southampton. I think we can call them, yeah. Uh, and dare I say, for for balance as well, I'm sure we had a lot of the similar conversations when Christoph Solis um, put in the performance he did against Bournemouth. So let's not kill the lad with expectation, but a very very positive uh, senior debut for him, really, uh, in terms of start. So really really impressive. From him, and then on on the other end of the spectrum, Sam, I, I did want to have a word about Adam Eder because he's had to take a, a lot of flack, a lot of flack. I mean, even when he came on the pitch today, there were it was a small number, but there was a chant a chant of you know Eder scores were, were on the pitch, and it was delivered in a. I didn't see him on the pitch. In a uh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't see him on the pitch. Who? No, I didn't see him on the pitch. No. no. Um, but that's that's a that's that's kind of where we've got to of Adam Eder, and it was similar towards the end of last season. And I get it; his performances haven't been great. Uh, I think he, he said in the podcast, didn't he, at one stage that he's been affected by a lot of the criticism that he's had. He's still an incredibly young man. He's not played a lot of football because of uh, Temu Puki, largely, um, and probably not quite being able to get alone and Norwich not quite being able to get someone to sit behind Temu Puki and it all being quite difficult. Circumstances out of control. He's been beaten over the head constantly with a contract that he didn't offer himself. feels like I've said this a lot, but he didn't put a contract on the table and said, right, five years I'm going to be staying here. Someone put that in front of him. He just signed it. So I think for me, the fact that he's been kind of beaten around the head with that is is a little bit harsh. Uh, I get the frustrations about where he's been from a footballing perspective. I've also seen the higher points of where we've been with Adamida in a footballing perspective. I think particularly, I wasn't there that day, but when they beat Everton in the Premier League at Carrow Road and he was absolutely superb and scored. I've seen Adamida produce very, very good performances for, for Norwich City, Preston in the FA Cup. I've seen countless in FA Youth Cup games when uh, he, he, he played there. There is a good footballer in there. There is a good striker in there who's probably been battered by criticism and by lack of confidence Paddy said earlier he needed a moment and, and as I said for as much as we're talking about that potentially being a career changing moment for John Rowe and it could be 
could also be a career-changing moment for him because he needed that moment. He needed that uh, ball to drop in front of him probably more than anyone else in yellow and green at the moment. And um, I feel really pleased for him. That's not a question, but that's 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 what I'm putting to you. Yeah, I think it is quite a huge moment for him given, as you said, the amount of criticism that he's had to take and the hardship that he's been through really for the last few years because the weight of that expectation after he scores a hat-trick that early on in his Norwich City career. There's some nice parallels there, actually, where you, where you met, when you bring that up with Rowe, right? Because he yeah. also did that on his first... Was it his first senior start? It was, I think, Preston in the, in the Cup, scores a hat-trick. Yeah. I mean, you can't set a higher bar for yourself. No, so maybe there's a lesson there for John Rowe. Yeah, that's true. And um, it probably is a lesson for us as well in the amount of expectation that we, we put on people because certain things get in the way. Injuries got in the way for him in a big way, as well as, obviously, Tamer Pookie. And I think... Pookie going is good news for Ida, not simply from a, the fact that he was obviously Norwich's greatest goal scorer for a long time. Um, but I think in terms of the comparisons and where he fits into the team, having strikers around him that probably are a little bit more similar to him helps because when you watch Pookie week in, week out, I think you come to expect certain things. And for years, Norwich have had a striker who's relatively small who bases his game a lot on runs and technical ability who's a fantastic finisher but maybe doesn't have that physical side to his game can't really get on the end of crosses wasn't especially good at holding the ball up um, when receiving direct balls and I think that doesn't offer a, a favourable comparison with either because when you watch 80 minutes of a, a very good technical footballer up front to then have somebody up front like Ida who if we're being honest, does have holes in his game in that area, isn't an especially um, technically good striker when you compare him with others at this level. He's more based around that physicality and athleticism and um, and holding the ball up and things like that. I think when he replaces somebody like that, you expect to see those same attributes and he just couldn't offer that. He's a very different striker to, to Tamer Pukki, but in this David Wagner system, when he's competing with Josh Sargent and Ashley Barnes, I think hopefully fans will understand to see a different thing from their strikers and to expect something different um, to what Tamer Pookie offered. And I think that is what, what Ida is. So with a system geared around players, even today it was geared around Barnes and Sargent and getting the best out of them. And I'd suggest a system that's going to get the best out of Barnes and Sargent works much better for Adam Ida than a system that's geared to, to work well for Tamer Pookie. So there are a number of reasons I think things could be about to fall in Ida's favour. Admittedly, with Barnes' experience and how much he's impressed in pre-season, as well as Josh Sargent's goal-scoring record um, last season and the highest team he's held in uh, as well, it is going to be difficult for him to get above those two in the pecking order on a, a consistent basis. But probably all the factors that he needs are there right now and it does look like um, things could be about to fall in, in Adam Eder's favour, just as that, that ball did earlier. And that's exactly what a striker wants when they haven't scored in a while, when they need that confidence boost, as David Wagner said he felt Adam Eder did. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a really exciting time for Adam Eder, but as as we probably shouldn't have put so much expectation on him after that hat-trick, now you have to put it into context. That one goal doesn't doesn't change everything. Um, and he has still got two very good championship strikers to, to compete with. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where he can go from there. And I think 
that will give him a boost, but uh, still plenty of work for him to do for me. Yes, uh, one thing that we are not going to be able to talk about in great depth, but it's happening, is that Christos Solis is uh, in the process of leaving Norwich City on a loan deal to join Bundesliga 2 side Fortuna Dusseldorf. We expect that to include an option to buy for uh, and Norwich, if that was activated, would recruit a bit of the... Uh, or a significant portion of the money that, that they spent on him, but I would imagine that would hinge on Fortuna uh, getting promoted this season. They finished fourth last year, so uh, probably the end for him, which, you know, you see John Rowe today, and uh, particularly around the defensive elements. I, I remember at West Brom away, someone just peeling off Christos Solis with ease and thinking, yeah, OK, that's that's probably the rawness of your game. So be interesting to see how he gets on from here, but that kind of feels like the end of the road for him in an Norwich City shirt. Uh, Milo Rashica and Max Aarons are at Carroll Road today. Uh, they definitely, one of them definitely wasn't in Southampton or wherever they were meant to be. So they were definitely there. Nothing has moved on in that front. Um, Norwich obviously play Southampton next week. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, the only thing else I really wanted to mention is this lovely new set that we have, which uh, you may, if you're watching, it means nothing to you if you're listening, so I'll describe it to you. We've got two very nice blue sofas. I think it's just about the right shade of blue, I think. Yeah, it's light, sky blue. It's light blue. Yeah, it's sky blue, so I think we're okay. And we've got some lovely boards behind us, which have some lovely facts on. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read one. I'm gonna dedicate this one to Ashley Barnes, which is, it might just be off camera, to be fair. Uh, so. It, it's got a nice picture of a tractor um, and it, it's all about it's some nice facts about Norfolk. Uh, so maybe we'll split this across pods that we're going to do throughout the year. Uh, so this is one about, about tractors for you in homage to Ashley Barnes and his uh, desire to have been a, a farmer if he wasn't a footballer uh, and his Combine Harvester initiation song. This is... Uh, so, so it reads, Norfolk's climate, landscape and soil are ideally suited to growing wheat, barley and other combinable crops. There you go. So every day's, every day's, a, every day's a school day. And uh, next week, maybe we'll give you one about the Norfolk Broads because there's a nice one up there. But basically, this is a big tangent to say that uh, we, would, we, we need some backdrop stuff. So if you've got some backdrop stuff that you'd like to give us that we could use instead of facts about the EDP from memory of years, as interesting as they are, uh, it'd be nice to get some yellow and green involved somewhere. So if you, uh, if you have anything that you'd like to send us, that would be a good place to do so and maybe get in touch and we can sort that out. Uh, that's something that I've just come up with off a whim. So there we go. If you've got anything on, on that front, Paddy, anything in particular you'd be after to see on the backdrop that isn't facts of the EDP? No, but if there's obviously some sort of sp sponsorship of a commercial nature, then um, <laughs> you know I'm very open-minded in terms of crisps or chocolate or anything food, or basically anything anything food-wise. Tickets, travel agency type vibe, you know. We'll have to see if it complies with uh, our paymasters' uh, terms and conditions, but uh, we'll worry about that when we get to it. So yeah, no, just keep keep those commercial endorsements coming in. We're cheap. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll literally be like F one drivers if you want if you want brands all over that. But yeah, anything of a Norwich City nature to get in the backdrop, uh, maybe picture related that is quite portable would be quite helpful. That would be good as well. That probably brings us to a nice close to the podcast. Thank you to Paddy, thank you to Sam, thank you to Adam as well, who's had to sit behind the camera and listen to us uh, ramble on and eat into his Saturday night. Uh, thank you all very much for listening, for watching. Three points, two goals, some start to the championship campaign. See you on the South Coast next weekend. Thanks for watching.